But I noticed, like, by not having all these resources, I could have been in a different place in my life if I would have had what I've seen when it is successful, all these different supports built in for students to be successful, right? And so, like, thankfully, I learned so much that now I can advocate for my siblings, right? I have a brother who has autism. Like, I can, I know the system, but I also know a lot of families that don't know the system, and I just now, I developed that privilege by having gone to school, having worked in the education space. But if it wasn't for that, like, you still be in the dark. And that's such, and like the knowing the system. I got a call at one point that was like, we are looking, we are looking to CO your son. And that means refer your son to central office, which means expel them from the school. So that's what they said. So I was in the system. When she said CO, I knew what she was talking about. Mm. So I immediately went to my colleagues and went, what access to information do you have? Like, what information is there on my son? What's going to be the process from here? Like, if this CO goes in and I have a hearing, what do I need to bring to the table to make sure that my son stays at the school and to show that it's been their neglect that led to this issue? Yeah. Right? And, like, they were able to be like, oh, like, I can pull everything that, like, is in your son's file because, our like, our social workers and our psychologists can access across the district to <laughs> my kids in the district. They're like, we can pull all that for you. Um, and like, and they were like, these are the next steps that are going to happen. And they're like, if you want like to further protect yourself, here are other things you can do. Mm. But I'm like, dude, if I weren't, but if you inside, didn't know those people, I didn't know what an IEP right. was if it wasn't for IEL. Yeah. So my brother went through the first a whole elementary school year, and my mom was signing papers just because she's like, oh, okay, that's what they told me, like you know, right? But there wasn't an academic change in his stuff. Mm-hmm. But because of IEL, I learned so much about like the disability space. But I'm like, um, no. So middle school when COVID hit, I got so involved that like. Now we got the correct school diagnosis, which is autism, not operational defiance. And like, that's what they give everybody. They give everybody, right? Or it was like, he had speech delay. It wasn't, but I, I worked with adults with disabilities in Oregon. So I'm like, you have autism. I know that. But they were all like, well, because he's friendly, it's a spectrum for a reason, right? And so like, or even all the issues that not come up in school, like I'm in all the calls. Even though I don't live in Oregon, I'm in all the calls. People see, see me in every single case manager thing. Like I'm the one... Literally on the IEP call, they make it in the evenings. Like, thankfully, because I live on East Coast time or West Coast time, it works. But I'm like, I know many parents who have kids with IEPs who don't understand what that means, who don't understand how to advocate for their kid, or I have kids who need IEPs and parents have stigma around disability, and I don't want my child to be labeled as that. So I've seen both of it, and it's like, thankfully, I've been able to help my parents simply because of the knowledge that I've like gained or like continue to gain. Of like learning of like, what is voc rehab, what is the, like right like what happens after this or asking the right questions or or even someone saying hey if you want more hours for like a personal support worker you need to like really go detail because our families come from backgrounds of like we're not gonna tell you the whole thing because we don't want you to take our child from us yes. because CPS is real because my mom got that called on her yeah. during like a medical whole thing mm-hmm. so the fear of like parents don't even truly say like what they need support mm-hmm. in because of the fear of you're gonna take my kid. Sabrina Sheik is the Immigrant and Refugee Leadership Coordinator with the Institute for Educational Leadership. IEL provides backbone support and technical assistance for community school initiatives all throughout the country. But where our work collides is primarily around engaging youth to find their voice in advocacy. She's done us a favor and traveled all the way from Washington, D.C. to attend and support our our Spring Youth Coalition Summit at Marquette University. 
during our stay in Milwaukee, she was gracious enough to take some time out uh, to chat with us. This is Community Soup, the podcast powered by Community Schools. I'm Don Portis. Welcome to the table. Um, so hello, my name is Sabrina Sheikh, um, and I lead a lot of our youth leadership work at the Institute for Educational Leadership. I come into this work um, honestly because of who I am. I came to America when I was two, um, you know, came from Kenya, came to America as a refugee and moved to like Maryland area. And a lot of my experiences have really dictated like where I've gone in my life. Um, So growing up really like early on, I've noticed a lot of the inequities that happens within schools and you could see the difference between like where you live, right, and your income that really shows like what quality of education that you get. Um, And so I never thought I actually would go to college. That wasn't like I think even for most times in schools, it was always like, ah like you got potential but you know it's basically there that's all it stops at is if you have potential um so I was like not even thinking of school of college just because of the lack of like teachers that don't truly pour into you is like okay you see my potential what you gonna do about it Mm -hmm. how are you gonna help me really reach to that level and so when I got to college I mean I already knew at that point in my life that I wanted to go into the school system whether that was in a teacher capacity or actually even going into policy so I think I came into college like I'm going to do public policy I want to run for office at some point um because who has the power to make change a lot of the times is elected officials um that really are the gatekeepers and the holders of like what's able to happen in schools or even in communities and beyond but then as I navigated college I recognized that like I really wanted to be on the ground um I wanted to work in communities and I wanted to work with young folks. Um, So I transitioned a lot from like going to a track of teacher and then finally figured out what a nonprofit organization was. I was like, this sounds interesting. Um, Had no real idea of like what's to come after I graduate, but just knew that I wanted to be in the school system in some type of capacity. Um, From there, I moved to Oregon and just it fell on my lap, to be quite honest, um, in which I worked for like an immigrant refugee organization specifically for African youth and families. Um, I was actually working as a local partner in a community school at that time. And through that experience, I noticed like, you know, I was able to make such an impact in my what 20 so youth and 20 families that I had. Um, but at the same time, recognizing that there were bigger issues at hand. Right. And even within those systems that we were working within. Right. Like you had a lot of barriers for student success. And I was one person. Right. Like I knew, hey, I want to create all these offers, even though there's this grant and they say X, Y and Z, you have to do. I did all of that to meet my requirements, but I went above and beyond because I knew that, like, it'd be great if you guys get this opportunity. Let's partner with this person because you should have exposure to X, Y and Z. Something as simple as like going to like a Korean barbecue, which you'd be like, what? Like, why are students doing that? But at the end of the day, right, you have many students that come from certain places who have never had that experience. I mean, growing up for me, we never went to any restaurant. Mm -hmm. Like, I grew up with seven siblings. um, So the only thing you'd be lucky to go get is a McDonald's. And that was a treat, 
right? Like, so that whole entire thing, like, exposure to any of that or exposure to nature and hiking, like, none of those things were a reality to us. Um, but moving to Oregon, like, you see hiking happening and people going camping, which we don't do, right? But recognizing that, like, all of these things are important to developing students and who they are. Um, and so we were able to create those opportunities for our young people. But like I said, it's only for a small amount of kids, right? And it's lucky who you get to actually run these programs or who you get to lead these programs. Um, and being someone who's a refugee of myself and from the continent of like where most where all my students are from of Africa, and I had a lot of students that were Somalis and Ethiopians and youth from Congo, I could easily connect with them. Mm-hmm. Our experiences were very similar, but also very different too at the same time. But there was a lot of respect of like, oh, you did it? Like you went to college? Like you also like moved away from your parents, right? Like think about talking to young girls um, who had never even thought that that was an opportunity for them, right? To like leave their area and go somewhere else for school. I was able to show that. And I was able to even build relationships with our families to say, hey, like it actually is not a bad thing. Your child will be safe. Like it is okay. Or, you know, your child should play sports and do after school programs why because it matters and it actually helps develop them right if it wasn't for me who someone who looked like these families they probably would have never been okay with their students like with Mm -hmm. their children ever participating in some of these programs but it was that relationship and it was that like oh I know you like we speak the same thing like the same language like you understand right like you and so there's a lot of respect and a lot of like trust that where it's able to be built with our families because of who we were and because of the background that we came from and the understanding that we had. And also the acknowledgement of, like, you understand the system now, right? Yeah. Being someone that looks like us. And so, you know, what's great within that is, like, now I see some of my students that I used to work with who are, like, in college. i working at some of the similar organizations that I worked at mm-hmm. that are making a difference for their younger generation of peers and students, right, in schools. Um, but within all of that, I long to say is that, like, I noticed that there's a larger impact that I wanted to make. And in the small, and I've recognized that my voice, like, you don't see that everywhere. There's rooms that I went into that I didn't see someone that looked like me. Or you weren't thinking about refugee and immigrant populations. Or you weren't thinking about Muslims and what the intersection between those two identities look like. Or what you don't think about even like having someone who has a disability and what that intersection of being an immigrant refugee. And then also being Muslim and like adding all these different identities together and how they intersect. And oftentimes they're not at the table. And so I wanted my voice to be at the table. Um... And I just wanted to create a larger impact so people can think about these different populations and think about it in a very, like, authentic way. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's how I got into IEL because, okay. like, I, you know, being at a national organization um, and having more of, like, a national lens and being able to influence what goes on was something that was really important to me. Um, so moving from, like, the work that I love to do, which is on the ground directly with young folks and then working my way to move up nationally and seeing what kind of impact that I can make and also just being able to influence, like, have you thought about this? Are you thinking about this? What are you thinking about for our families? What are you thinking about for our young folks? Like, how are you centering their voices? Um, and so I brought that into IEO. And I think that that's why I really do the youth work at IEO is because I notice and recognize the importance of, like, you know, youth voice. And youth are actually the closest to a lot of the challenges that are happening in schools. And they actually have the solutions. 
Um, but we never give them an opportunity or a chance to ever like voice their opinions or listen to their opinions. Or even if they are voicing it, we're not doing anything about it. It just stops there. And so like recognizing like how are you ensuring that these young people's voices are heard? But also how are you ensuring that all young people's voices are heard? Not just oftentimes the ones that are getting straight A students, the ones that are always involved in after school programming. But how are you thinking about the students that are showing up to class who have maybe not the greatest attendance or the greatest grades. Um, those students, right, are the ones that I would even sometimes say you should center more of their voices yeah. because clearly there's a reason why they're not engaged. There's a reason why they're not showing up. And so when you bring their voices in, you can start to understand, like, why that is and then create space to create the changes based on what they're telling you yeah. and even work with them to create those changes, right? Because, um, like, there's a lot of places I can do within the educational space. I think that often a place that is most neglected um, and not thought about or centered enough is around that youth voice and leadership. Because we think that youth are the future, but in reality, they're the present. Yeah. And when yeah. we think of most movements that have happened throughout time, they were led by who? By young people, yeah. right? And even now, like a lot of organizers that are leading a lot of this work are young folks. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they have the time, because they're most closest to these issues. They're willing to like do all that work, but we just act as if like they don't matter. What they have to say isn't valued enough. And even as adults, we think we have the solutions, but oftentimes we've made calls that didn't work. So why don't we offer that same thing to our students to allow them to make calls and to make solutions to things that may or may not work? Mm -hmm. Because that's how we learn at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that's how I got into this work, long story short. Um, but why I continue to like really push that youth voice and leadership piece um, because it's important and necessary. And, and also I think that we will reach better impact if we actually work in partnership with youth yeah. rather than not. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that a lot. And, um, yeah, no, you, you, yeah, yep. You said a lot of stuff that I, I feel like I, um, I may talk about in like other spaces, you know, even if it's like, oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this with like a friend group who, you know, may have their own things going on so they don't fully understand or, uh, grasp that concept but um, you know I think that was that's the biggest thing for me is just um, you know being transparent with with our young people um, I know earlier you mentioned like you know this facade that we put on as adults and um, I think that is one of the you know like that's how I try to show up with young people um, because one I knew how I was as a student like I know how I am currently right like I wouldn't say I'm faking it when I show up to work, but like there is a, a certain level of professionalism that you try to turn on, um, and that's okay, right? Like I'm not selling out. I'm not being like non-fake. You know, you know, like I, it's. Um, but I think if we can move away from like, like you got a question, hey, I got that same question. Let's figure it out together. You know, or we may not get to the answer, but but this journey, this process of just like collaborating and being a thought partner and being a sounding board, right? Like uh, that thing that, you know, you brought to my attention as a sophomore, right? Like we may not fix it or solve it by the time you graduate, but I guarantee, you know, for that next wave of, you know, that incoming freshman class that comes after you, right? Like they'll be able to like reap the benefits of the work that you're putting in 
and like that doesn't that doesn't stop you know I think that's the the piece that I try to communicate is like it it goes way beyond uh, you know your time with me as as an adult right so if I'm a classroom teacher it's not about just like getting you out of my classroom or getting you out you know to graduate because you have to go to the next level and you have to perform at the next level um, and like our our I guess well-being is based on how that next generation comes in and like and just how they show up you know and so if you have you know this this same energy you know that may have put like the Roe versus Wade stuff in place right or like you know put different restrictions on who who can vote like all of these things like if I if I'm not engaging the youth in a way that says you know it's okay to identify something that is not right with you um it's okay to 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 talk about that it's okay to strategize and organize around that uh and then like do something differently like that's that's not throwing shade on the generation before you. Um, and it's also okay to be vulnerable enough to say like, hey, I don't know, or you're right, we should have caught that. You know, but because we didn't, I'm gonna make sure that we figure it out together. Um, yeah, no, yeah, you worded a lot of that really. But I love how you talk about though, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes we forget that it's a journey, right? Because, I mean, even like right now, just this past Sunday, actually yesterday, we had our graduation for our Youth Education Policy Fellowship that we piloted. And when the youth presented, you could notice like some got to an outcome and some didn't. Mm -hmm. But that's what change is. There isn't always a destination. It's a journey. Yeah. It's the journey that we start to create change. It's the conversations that we start to have that may not get resolved today, but at least the conversation has started. Mm -hmm. At least, like, you know, we've said, hey, like, you know, this is the issue. We collected this data. Like, what we're going to do about it? You know, and starting to have that. And I think that's the thing that we need to also instill with students is, like, we don't expect you to create change tomorrow. or We don't expect that we're going to get this policy that may be not the greatest for our school or for our district done today or tomorrow. And being real with and honest with the fact that like change doesn't happen overnight and it's a journey. I mean, we can think about that in people who work in federal government or however, right? Like sometimes there are people who have been working their lives and taking six, eight years for a policy to pass. Am I saying that it always has to be that way? No. But the reality is that change is a journey and it's a journey that we have to go on together with our students. Mm -hmm. Right, and we have to be willing to fail along the way. We have to be willing to make mistakes along the way, and we have to also be honest with the fact that, like, hey, reality is, I probably we can't do that. That's just right at this very moment. Right. That doesn't mean it can't be possible later on, but just at this very moment. And the real importance is how are we building young people's skill sets so that at least they have the knowledge and the skills to create the change that they want to see in their community, not just for today, but for tomorrow, right? Because it's not about, like, if I see something wrong today, right, and I've actually invested in you and created space for you to make those mistakes, to learn, like, okay, well, what are people saying about this? How should you best address this issue? then that means that in the future, there's a high chance that you're going to be more engaged in your community. There's a high chance that you're going to want to create that change. And also, like, you start to see students say, like, oh, like, I never realized I could do this. Mm -hmm. Or, like, oh, I do have the power, mm -hmm. right? And so you're 
I wouldn't say giving students power, but you're giving back power that they've always had in the first place. Because now we've created a space to say, like, you matter. Your voice matters. What you have to say matters. And let's go on this together, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we think about schools, like, we have to be willing to go on this journey with young folks together to actually create the solutions for some of the pressing challenges that we're having in schools. And it doesn't just stop. I mean, even as you said, right, like I think in the beginning you were saying, like you take this conversation even with your friends and your peers, right? Like that's the same thing I do. Even though right now we're talking about education, we know that youth voice probably should be in our healthcare system, yep, yep. um, should be in like every avenue of work. And so when I have friends that work in all these different areas, I'm like, well, how, how are you thinking about youth voice? How are you, you know, you're trying to solve a mental health crisis I mean, youth are going through a mental health crisis, right? Like, how are you involving them in that, right? If we're thinking about housing or transportation, I mean, there's many schools that youth got to take buses to go to school. Like, they should be part of that conversation, right? They should be part of the housing conversation because they're also living in these homes too. And so it's like, how are you getting people to think, like, it doesn't stop with education, right? That's just where you're in close proximity to, right, where students are attending every single day, eight hours a day for X amount of years of their life. But the reality is that, as an entire system, when we think of, like, America and the world, like, we should be thinking about how are we bringing everybody together to actually solve these solutions. And that yeah, includes yeah. youth at the center of it. Yeah, I was, um, maybe it was, like, last week I was actually having a conversation with my with my dad. And um, I was kind of, like, complaining, not complaining. Yeah, I was, I was venting a little bit about um, how um, one of our schools, um, was like deciding to use some extra dollars. And um, well, he's, you know, he's like, well, what would you do with it? And I'm like, it's not, it's not my decision to make. Mm-hmm. And that part he didn't understand, right? So he's like, you're unhappy with what they came up with. But when I'm asking you, what would you do? You know, you're saying it's not your call to make. <clears throat> and I'm like, that's the, that's, the, that's the whole thing, you know, because if we all sat at a table and you said one thing, and, you know, five of us at a table and we all said something totally different, right? Whoever had the decision-making power to say, all right, we're going to go with, you know, Dom's idea or Sabrina's idea, there's going to be four other t- people at the table who's going to be upset. Now they're not as enthusiastic about it. You know, maybe it gets to the point where they even want to sabotage it because it's not their idea. Whereas I'm saying it's not my idea. I'm happy with whatever we can collectively come up with. And, and as long as the group is happy, I'm happy. You know, and that was that was something that he was just like, oh, like, like I get it, but like, you know, because it takes long. You know, it seems harder, right? But like, it it may require a little bit more work on the on on the front end, you know. But just imagine how how many decisions are easier to make because I have an understanding, right? Like I I can ask you a question, you know. I value your perspective, mm. you know. And so when I do make a decision, the likelihood of me having to, like, reverse <laughs> that decision that I made after, <clears throat> you know, we piloted it out and, and found out that we weren't as effective as we thought, you know, we kind of skipped that because, you know, I have this perspective, I have that perspective, I have that perspective, and everybody, you know, is taking ownership over the decision that we made, and, you know, things just move smoother. Even if we find out that we've flew this plane right into a wall. You know, I feel a lot better about flying into a wall because, you know, someone trusted me to, you know, uh, I don't know, check the wings or somebody trusted me with the, you know, 
whatever the case may be. But um, I think that's the thing. And, you know, it's not always about being right. And I think, you know, when I look back at like what school has looked like for a very long time, it's like, did you get the answer right or wrong? You know, um, and that's that's not it. You know, it's literally about showing showing your work. Right. Like we say that in math, like show your work. But that, that is the work when it comes to community school. It's actually the process and the brainstorming of like this over here and there. Because now I can factor in all of the, the potential threats. I can factor in all of the things that, you know, my weaknesses, where my gaps are. If I know, you know, personnel shortages is a real, you know, threat to my building. How can I utilize the people that I do have in the building to be more efficient? Uh, instead of saying, well, damn, we have all of these vacancies, you know. Um, yeah, so it's about, like, what isn't there, like, what... But I think you also bring up a point around, like, when you said that we all made the decision together, right, like, we're flying mm -hmm. into the plane, if we crash, we crash, right? But it's, it goes back to, it's collaborative. Yeah. No one made the decision about themselves. Mm -hmm. We made it together, right? Therefore, we fail together, we succeed together, but at the end, we made it together, mm -hmm. Right. And so when we're thinking about, I think that's why even like community school strategy is the best strategy is because at the end of the day is we're doing it together. We see value in our partners. We see value in our youth. We see value in our families. We see value in the people in the school buildings. Right. And we're all working together for honestly the same outcome, which is the success of students. Yeah. Right. Not the success of a, you got a 4.0 or you passed this math exam. No, like, the success of our students and that means the students get to define what that success mm -hmm. looks like right and so I think that when things don't put so much pressure on one individual to make all those decisions right and it's something that you're actually inclusive and collaborative with the people around you and respecting that like what you have to say matters and also there's a validity in what you have to say you have to say but in the end like there's going to be ideas that maybe majority of us were not great for it, and we chose to not do that there's going to be ideas that majority of us are for it. And so we ended up going with it, right? And that actually leads us stronger. Like, you have an opinion. You have something to say. You have something to say. All of us are different. But I think there's beauty in the fact that there's difference. There's beauty in the fact that, like, you know, you're thinking like this and I'm thinking like this. So how can we meet in the middle? Mm -hmm. Where is the beauty in your idea that's the greatest and the strength? And where is it the strength in yours? And then how do we combine it to actually create something that makes a difference, right? Also, maybe you're the person who knows a lot of policy stuff. So when we are talking about it, you could tell us, hey, y'all, but there's, there are these parameters we have yeah. to follow, yeah. right? And then someone else can say, well, I know X, Y, and Z population. The young people, they're going to need this, this, and this. Or you that are telling you, hey, that's not going to work with, you know, you guys are trying to have this program. I know my peers. That's not going to work with them, right? And so everybody has a voice in it, and they also have their own experience and expertise, mm -hmm. right? So the principal has an expertise in how they've operated school, right? Administration have an expertise. Youth have an expertise. Families have an expertise. But when we start to value those expertise and what people bring, we actually get to better solutions. But in the end, if we're like, there's this hierarchy of like, I know it all, yeah then you don't value what other people have to say. Value the, the expertise that your stakeholders bring to the table and not just their demographic. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's crucial. I did want to maybe ask a different question. It's probably taking a bunch of steps back at this point, but 
Um, can you des- can you describe for folks who may not understand fully, um, like what role does IEL play in supporting community school initiatives across the country? Oh, that's a heavy question. My bad. I'm gonna try to do it. <laughs> so I think IEL plays. Um, a few different roles, right, within the community schools movement. Um, I think one role is around the fact that we support community schools in terms of those who want to become a community school. When we think of, like, how, you know, how do you start up a community school? How do you create a community school? How do you then sustain a community school? How do you build the systems within that, right? Um And so I think a lot of it is, like, supporting communities to actually create the systems to uphold a community school, right? I think another piece is around the policy piece. Mm -hmm. We, I think IEL has a big place and has played a big role within um, really pushing the federal government, like our Department of Ed, um, to really invest in community schools. And so at the policy level, really showing the importance that community schools play um, and how they make a change within, you know, schools. And so, like, really trying to state the case for why we need to invest in community schools at the federal level. Mm-hmm. While at the same time also helping states being able to have those conversations with their elected officials of why, you know, we should also at the state level be investing in community schools. And I think there's also this role of, like, the standards, right? Right. And so I think IEL also plays a big role in, like, what are the standards within a community schools? So as we have been having a large wave of the large um, dollars going in with the Department of Ed for community schools, I think that what's going to be important within that is that there is the standard out there, right? Like, so what are people following? How are we ensuring that there is efficient, like, that it's, that everyone at least is, like, having a status quo in which, you know, like, are you following the four pillars? Do you have X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. Like, ensuring that there's a standard that, like, community schools are abiding by so it doesn't just become another framework that we have, right? right? That's nice to have or, like, I have a stamp of it here, um, but it doesn't really mean anything, right? Like, Mm -hmm. but actually showing the quality of, like, you truly operate as a community school and it's making a difference and an impact, right? And so when we see, like... A lot of the different, um, you know, things that IEL puts out with the graphics and the documents and all those things, like, so that people can use to really impact their work, right? How do you scale a community school? Um, So I think there's a lot of, like, also the research aspect of IEL, really pushing out um, documents, research frameworks that shows, like, here's what you need to follow or you need to be able to do based on where you're at. Right? Are you at this role? I think another thing is like with us managing these multiple different networks of like coordinators, um, system leaders, and being able to create and cultivate community nationally amongst people within the community school system based on their roles and being able to have people that they can rely on and call to, Mm -hmm. um, to A, learn from, to connect with, to share challenges, to share solutions that they can also like be able to then put back into their own work, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, because we know that we can't do this work alone. And also what maybe 
a community school in California is facing, maybe there's a community school in Philly that's facing the same similar thing, and they can learn from each other. Or maybe they've tried different things, and it's like, oh, well, we tried this. Maybe you got to try this. Or, oh, like, you know, we did this, and it failed. Like, so maybe you got to try it a different way. Or like, hey, I have this problem. Can you help me out with it? Yeah. And so it's really building a community of people that you can rely on and call to. So I think that that's another really large role that IEL has played and continues to play is, like, cultivating these networks of people within the community schools movement and building it in for people to get to know each other, learn from each other, share challenges, but also provide capacity building, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully, I answered that. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was perfect because I, I know um, at least. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Ryan moving up, so it, you know, we we run into that a lot. Like, oh, where's Ryan? Or you know, where's Ryan? Where did he go? And uh, when I try to explain, like, oh yeah, he's what I yield. He kind of provide like, I think how I describe it is like technical assistance yeah. and you know sometimes backbone support to already established initiatives um and i'm glad that you explained it the way you did because that that is exactly what and i, I would i'm a i'm a leaning on the the convening that in north carolina um i think i got the the biggest dosage of that that you described in north carolina what was that last april something like that um was it how long ago yeah, no, it was it was November. Oh, November. Okay, November. I'm sure. My bad. It's like April. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, because you find out, right? Like that, although it is a national model, right? Like I think a lot of different networks and initiatives are structured differently. Yeah. And so, like, you know, what is in place here in Milwaukee may look great to other folks, but then you know internally we're like oh if we just had like this thing or if we have the support of this over here and it's like oh that other network like they got that down packed the thing yeah. that they don't have is the thing that you all got you know and so being able to to have those conversations like we've already like you know started to pre-set up like uh hangouts for the june convening um you know for like other you know like for us as managers to meet coordinators from other locations, um, you know, the state coalition meetings. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, even since uh, North Carolina, I know Poncho and myself has uh, joined the, the, the CS. The, CSLM. Yeah, the Leadership yeah. Network. You know, those have been helpful. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I guess I wanted it on wax from uh, yeah. <laughs> an IEL person, but, like, I... Like, I feel all of that happening. Yeah. And, and having IEL support our initiatives is extremely, extremely helpful and important for us. I don't know how often people get to share that with you all, but, um, yeah, it's it's a heck of a resource to have in our back pockets, and I know we've, we've appreciated it here in Milwaukee for sure. And I think one thing, Ty, is I think because of where we are positioned, we have the opportunity to really be able to uplift the work that's happening on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. And so even as we, I said about the policy piece where we're really pushing to, you know, constantly increase the federal dollars into community schools, we can create that case because of what we see, because of the fact that we have relationships in communities and are able to see, like, hey, you guys are doing this, like, then we're able to take these different stories and the impact that communities are making, especially community schools, to say, hey, here's the case for why this is the best framework. This is, you know, a way for student success. Like, this is why we need this. This is why community schools are important. This is why it does this, right? It's because, like, we see it happening mm -hmm. on the ground. And I think, going back to your point, you were like thinking of the June conference, I think we're conveners. Mm 
Yeah. We bring people together because we know that we can't do this work alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's also building your community locally, statewide, and as well as across the country because there is some things that are happening across the country that are amazing, right? Some people doing maybe some really great youth voice work over here. Someone else doing some really great family engagement work over here. And someone who's doing some really good thing around, like, their different... um, out of school time opportunities and things like that. And so it also creates people the opportunity to like learn like, oh, you're doing this. Maybe what could it look like in my community? It may look different, mm-hmm. but at least I can learn from you and see how can maybe we get the funding for it, right? How can we maybe implement it at our schools or in our district that looks slightly different? But now you have these different models across the country that you can learn from and hopefully use that information for someone who either is already community school to constantly improve your own, or if you're someone who wants to start up, you can have a whole community to rely on and say, here, here's actually how you could figure out the funding to create a community school in your area. Yeah. Right. That this isn't just like a one-time thing uh, for, you know, the Milwaukee Community Schools Partnership having an opportunity to work with IEL, our youth council specifically working with uh, some of the national, um, I would say, um, movement that has been happening underneath that umbrella. Uh, and so um, can you kind of just touch upon two things? Well, I do want to shout out uh, North Division. So last year, uh, North Division um, had students participate in, or yeah, youth council students participate in a narrative project I don't want to butcher it so I'm gonna just I'm gonna leave it open-ended on how I opened it up but uh, a narrative project where they got an opportunity to kind of like reflect on their leadership journey things that they were able to accomplish in their respective schools uh, but then again start to work with uh, other youth leaders um, across the country um, and kind of pull like best practices pull things that you know they would like to do moving forward uh, and then they, they actually had their uh, opportunity to have their work published. Uh, and so that was kind of like our start. Um, we were looking to continue it uh, moving into next school year. Uh, obviously, well, at the time of this, um, tomorrow we're having a, our spring uh, youth convening uh, where we're kind of like celebrating uh, the youth councils that we have at the 15 schools here in Milwaukee. Uh, just kind of celebrating the things that they were able to accomplish, um, just kind of check in on uh, their leadership initiatives, uh, their advocacy initiatives, uh, but then also like champion the work that they're that they've done, uh, but also you know like commit to them as, as thought partners and like supporters of their work. Uh, so I said a lot, um, but can you just kind of like touch on some of the the collaborations that we've been able to have uh, between IEL and the youth? voice uh, and advocacy initiative here in Milwaukee? Yes. So um, definitely, uh, so we published a youth voice and community schools guide, I think it was what, last year around August. Um, And in that guide, we actually worked with about six different schools in which Milwaukee was one of them with North Division, in which students really they were the ones to write their own school story around, you know, how their school uplifts youth voice leadership and engagement. And so they went through a whole process to really, a, you know, 
the usual, get to know about community schools, what are the pillars, all that good stuff. But really be able to like map out like what are all the opportunities that our school provides us um, to really have a space to like voice our opinions, um, to build leadership skill sets. Um, and so with that, the students really were able to get a 360 view of their entire school of like, what clubs do we have, right? Do we have a student council? Um, in other schools, it's called something different, right? Like, what does our school have to really uplift our students' voices? And they took all that information and then created a school story to really say like, here's some information about our school, here's what our school has, and here's our, how our school really uplifts youth voice. Um, and that was included in the guide that we had. The guide did have two different components. It had one component where it did have like surveys that we collected from people within this community school space, both adults and students, to really understand like how are people defining youth voice, leadership and engagement, right? Um, how are people basically saying like, what does our school have, right? Is there a difference between adults, students, things like that? Um, and which the second piece were the actual stories that we collected to really be able to create the framework that we currently have within the Youth Voice and Community Schools Guide. So that was a really one big piece that we worked with Milwaukee, specifically North Division. Um, and we actually right now currently will be working with Milwaukee um, in which we're going to be adding a piece to this guide, which will focus on protocols that community school practitioners can use to really dive deeper into that process that we have, right? So when we think about youth voice, leadership, and engagement, how do you actually go through a process um, to assess what your school has to get to the point of like implementation? So there's this entire process around explore, engage, co-design, implement, evaluate, then scale and do it all over again. Um, and so we're actually going to be putting together, which we currently have done, a advisory board comprised of four different schools across the country that comprises of a principal, a teacher, a student, a coordinator that will be working with us to really try out these protocols and provide us with feedback to ensure that these protocols work for each of these stages that then the larger field can use. So I think the first thing is, and I think we've been saying this over and over again, is center youth voice. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a teacher in a classroom, whether you're a principal at a school, whether you're a school board member in a district, find ways to truly center in an authentic way youth voice, right? Think about the youth that attend your, your school. Think about the youth that are in your classroom how are you ensuring that all of their voices are heard and not just the few? Um, and do this in multiple ways, mm -hmm. right? Um, this doesn't mean I put out a survey once a year and that's it and we're done. I got youth voice. Like, no, like, how are you creating that in your classroom? Do you create community agreements together as a class, right? Do you provide opportunities and spaces for your youth to provide you with feedback, to maybe even say, like, Hey, can we do this or can we have more interactive activities? And do you actually put that into action when they give you your consideration? Um, when we think about entire school building, if students are saying the bathroom policy is whack, like mm -hmm. then how are you working with them to change that? If students are saying they're not engaged, so what are you gonna do about that? How are you having conversations with young people to ensure that they do become more engaged? So I think in shorter terms, one of the biggest things, and it's simple as it may sound, it's a lot more complex for people to do, but truly center your young people's voices 
find multiple avenues and ways to not just center their voices, but providing them with ample opportunities to lead and ensure there is diversity within that. Mm-hmm. Not a checks box that you're, you know, going through and saying we got this, this, and this, but like truly in an authentic way that you're providing like a space for all of your students to feel like if I want to be a part of this, I can, and that my voice matters, um, and that if I have to say something, people will actually listen. Mm-hmm. That's where we should be getting to, right? I think the second piece that I would say would be directly with when it comes to, like, IEL um, and community schools. So as you all know, like, one of the biggest, one of the pillars within community schools is collaborative leadership, which means it is important that within that we are centering our young people's voices, but also that we get to a point that we see youth as partners. Um, And so... Within that, one of the biggest things that IEL has been working on, right, which is why we published the Youth Voice and Community Schools Guide, why we're creating these protocols, why we had a youth education policy fellowship, is so that we're, A, putting out to the field, like, here's what you need to know to really truly center youth voice leadership and engagement. Um, Here's how a leadership program could look like that you can offer to your young folks and really building their knowledge and skill sets to lead, right, and to create change. Um, and so see us as a place, right? The Institute for Educational Leadership, see us as a place that you all can also turn to if you have questions, if you um, need support, um, want to talk through some challenges, however it may be, see us as a resource um, to really work with you all to truly centering like youth voice and leadership. Because at the end of the day, we want to create a larger movement um, around the entire community school space that you know, we, and that's where Next Generation Coalition really comes in is that, you know, as we have these different networks, networks of coordinators, networks of CSLN members, um, system leaders, United Ways, is that we're trying to do the same thing with the Next Gen Coalition is to have really have a coalition of young people that are leading this work nationally um, and really changing the space of education and, and ensuring that their voices are heard and that they're really creating the outcomes and the solutions that they want to see in their schools, both at the local level, but all the way up to like the federal level. And Mm -hmm. that's truly what we're trying to create. So work with us to create that, to ensure that all students across this country are heard and that we really see them as experts as well in the solutions that we are all working on constantly to better for our students. Mm -hmm. No, that was perfect. And one thing I do, appreciate about the next gen coalition is um it doesn't it goes up to what age 24 24 24 and so you know obviously i work in the high school space um you know our coordinators uh have a lot more access um and i would say like influence over our young people but that that you know it goes up until you know graduation from from 12th grade pretty much and so to be able to like bring them closer to a network that will continue to support them right like if you go the post-secondary route I can't necessarily you know ensure that you are going to find a leadership space at that college um if, you know even if you are in middle school and then go to a high school that's a non-community school right like I don't know if you're going to go join the youth leadership team at that particular school or if it you know the way they operate their youth leadership space is the same way at a, at a community school and so um, I say that to say like you know as facilitators of these spaces like it's it's natural for us to get nervous about what happens at 
at the end of this particular chapter for this young person. Um, and so to be able to hand them off into a, uh, a space that will not end at 18 or 19, you know, um, but has, you know, organizing space and like a learning curve for them to continue to develop these skills uh, for the next couple of years, I think is really, really important. Um, and I, I didn't want that to go without mentioning. A hundred percent. I think the last thing to just point out on even that piece is that just as much as adults need spaces to network with other adults and to learn from other adults, like young people need that same space. Sure. That's also the whole thing of NGC, like Next Gen, is that youth have a space where they can A, connect with other youth, both in their local area, but also nationally, a space where they can also learn from other young folks in terms of what they're doing, but also talk about their own challenges and work together of like, hey, here's what I did. What did you do? Oh, that worked? Okay, maybe I should try that here. And I think the beauty of even having it past high school is because of the reality is like, right, like these youth that have attended community schools, we can call on them later on, right? Like, you know, they are also the voices to even put the case of like why community schools are so important and the difference it made to them. But also like we want to continue to engage them we want to continue to have their voices met because they're still close to the issue right they've attended schools they they know it and they've experienced it and also now they can be mentors to students that are then currently in school mm -hmm. right and so you're creating as well of like a network of young people of like at different ages that can support each other in different places of their lives as well there it is that's a mic drop if I, if I ever heard one. No, I, I mean, I, I appreciate the uh, the time, the conversation. It felt very organic. Uh, I'm going to have a good time, like, chopping this up. And, um, you know, they come out on a bi-weekly, uh, I guess, schedule. And so not next Monday, but probably three three weeks from, from now is probably when you'll hear whatever the final version of this is, but no, I appreciate it. Definitely was. Just take the great parts out. Yeah. Just the great parts. No, 